All right, y'all. This morning we are going to be in Romans chapter 8. So last time I preached here, I was actually going to preach this, but Rev was like just getting into Romans 8. I'm like, maybe I won't skip to the end before he started the chapter. It's like when I come back, I'm doing it. So that's what we'll be. We'll be in Romans chapter 8. As we start this morning, though, I want to start actually by telling you a story. I want to tell you a story about this dude that I met 15 years or so ago. Uh, we're going to call this guy Jimmy. So back in the 70s, Jimmy was a guy like in his like early 20s. He was, he was single, not married. It's like, I'm not going to college. Like, so it's, it's time. This is the time of my life. Like, I need to find a job where I can start making some money and stack money away. And so he actually started working as a truck driver and making pretty good money. But then something happened, and it, it wasn't just him that it happened to. It actually happened to a lot of guys in his industry. Uh, there was a, a truck driver strike. We know how strike works, right? It's like, tell you what, you give us more money, we'll go back to doing the thing we were doing. Pretty simple, right? And then I want you to think about how, how big of a deal a truck driver strike is. You go to put gas in your car, you know how I got there? The truck towed it there. You go to the store to get food. You know how your food got there? Got there on a truck, right? Like, think about everything that is relying on a truck bringing there. So, right, so like, it's a big deal. So Jimmy and a, his, a lot of other guys are on strike. And in the meantime, suppliers are like, well, business must carry on. So they hire scabs, right? Like, they hire dudes who will come in and drive for a short amount of time. But this kind of throws a wrench in the gears of the whole strike thing, right? And so Jimmy and some of the other guys get together and they come up with this plan. What they're going to do is they're actually going to figure out like timings and the routes, routes, whatever, that people, that these trucks are taking. They're like, we're actually going to stake it out and we're going to shoot at these trucks. Not at the drivers, but at, yeah, I know, right? But like at the trucks as they're driving. And I'm not sure how Jimmy gets the actual job of being the trigger man, but indeed he does. And so... He draws the short straw, and they're like, all right, there's a passage of road. It's kind of curvy and lots of hills, so like we'll be able, like we can hide and then be able to easily get away without being noticed. And so Jimmy does that. He stakes out. Truck comes. He shoots at it, and he's like, look, man, I'm a good shot. Like, I grew up shooting. Like, I know I'm good. He fires. And he hits where he's aiming, but he's like, you know, in my mind, I'd imagine how it would be whenever the bullet struck and like the driver would just kind of ease over to the side of the road. He's like, that's not what happened. He's like, whenever the bullet struck, it's almost like he let go of the wheel. Jimmy's plan backfired and so did the bullet. Like whenever it hit the engine, it actually like ricocheted back into the cab and it killed the driver. You know, this is a true story. And it, it's a very sad story. And it's a story, I'm, I'm not going to leave it here. We'll come back at the end, so put a pin in it. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to place yourself, yourself in this story. Not as Jimmy, but as different people in this story. I want you to imagine if you were the person in the legal system. Because Jimmy actually went and turned himself in. Like, he was devastated. So he goes and turns himself in. I want you to imagine if you were the person in the legal system who was tasked with... Um, making sure justice was served. What do you think, what do you think would have to happen in order for you to be able to sleep at night? Feeling like you, you did your job well. Now I want you to imagine, what if you were one of Jimmy's friends? 
one of the dudes who came up with this plan, who in some ways like put the gun in his hand. What do you think you would feel like a fair punishment is for what had happened? And lastly, I want you to imagine being the driver's family. What do you think would have to happen? What punishment do you think would have to be handed down in order for you to say justice has been served? No matter what answer you give in your mind, you do so because in some way you feel like that would be an example of justice being served in this situation. You know, one of the ways that we actually reflect God, one of the ways God has made us to reflect him is by giving us a sense of justice. Because God himself is a just God, as we were actually reminded from in in Psalm 50. The Bible describes God actually as a just judge. This morning we're going to hone in on one word out of Romans 8. We're going to hone in on the word justification. And as we do, we're going to use the imagery of a courtroom. right? So I'll ask you this morning like to picture a courtroom in your mind. And as we think about that courtroom, we're going to imagine being there. Not just as someone sitting in the audience, but as someone actively involved. And as we do, here's the three things we're going to think about. We're going to think about how God is just, how God is the justifier, and then we're going to think about what justification brings. So Romans chapter 8, follow along with me as I read. Uh, verse 28, I guess I should tell you that, though. It says there, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Friends, these are the words of God from the mouth of God. And he's given them to us because he loves us. And these words he gives us are true. So I remember a couple of years ago, sitting around a breakfast table and asking some of our students here, asking them this question. When you think about God, what's the primary way that you think about him? Do you think about him as a loving father? Do you think about him as a reigning king? Do you think about him as a warrior? Do you think about him kind of more like Santa Claus? Like, I'm going to ask him for stuff and really hope that he gives it to me. When you think about God, what's the, we think about it in different ways, but the primary way, what's kind of like your default? What's the primary way you think about God? When I asked our students, um, it surprised me a little bit. You know the answer the majority of them gave is that they think about God as a judge. And as I asked like more questions trying to dig down a little bit, I found that for different reasons and in different ways, they had all been programmed to see God not just as a judge, but actually as an angry or mean judge. They didn't see God so much as a good king who was ruling over them or as a loving father, but instead as just this angry authoritarian who's like ready to rain punishment down on them. I wonder if if any of y'all are the same. Because the Bible does tell us, yes, God is the judge of all things. But what kind of judge does the Bible tell us he is? Here in our text, Paul is writing, and he's actually telling us about what we call the ordo salutis, or the order in which God saves people. It tells us that he predestines or plans beforehand, that he calls and that he justifies. 
You know, this is something that many of us as like good reform people, like we know this, we know this is true. We know this in our minds. But, you know, I find that oftentimes in our lives, it, it doesn't show, it doesn't show that this is something that we actually believe. We may know it, we may believe it intellectually, but so often, like, it doesn't seem like it works down into our heart level and out into our lives. These truths are, are unbelievable truths, and they should shape and form the way that we think and we live. But I know there's been many times, even now for me, I'm like, yeah, why doesn't my life reflect it? So my hope is this morning, as we revisit this passage that we have read and heard many times, that the Holy Spirit will drive these truths, the truths of what Christ has done on our behalf, that it will drive it deep into us. And that it will begin to form and shape us, that we will think more deeply about it than we have maybe when we came in this morning. This word justifies. It's a legal term. That's why I said let's think about a courtroom. Use the imagery of a courtroom because that's the language Paul here uses. The scene that we should think of as we come to this word, as we consider it, it is indeed one of a courtroom. And in this courtroom, God is seated as the judge. And I told you we are not just standing by watching. No, friends, instead, God is seated as a judge and you and I are on trial. But as we stand before this judge, it's not as though we stand before a judge that we know nothing about. It's not like you were out of state, had too much fun, and are like showing up at random to some guy's bench. No, instead, you are standing before a judge who you know something about. And you know something about him because he has not only told you about himself, but through all of history, he has proven that what he says is true. And what has he said? When Deuteronomy 32, he describes himself this way. He says that he is the rock whose work is perfect and who, who's all, who all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Psalm 89, he says... Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. In Exodus 34, he says that he is the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That he keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but that he will by no means clear the guilty. In these passages and in countless others, God is telling us that he is loving and faithful and forgiving but he is also just. What does that mean? What does that mean to be just? On a simple level, it it just means that you do what's morally right or fair. God's like, yeah, that's what I do. That's not what I just sometimes do. That's what I always do. I always do what is morally right and fair. How do you do? You know, You have acted as a judge countless times before. Oftentimes when you probably don't even realize that's what's happening. Maybe you've had a friend that was treated unfairly. Maybe it was by another friend of yours or a boss. Someone that you could actually, that you knew you would actually see again. And as your friend told them the injustice that they had been done. If you in your mind was like, Wait till that fool, wait till I see that fool again. They're going to catch an earful from me. You know what you're actually doing? You're acting as a judge. You're saying, this is what they deserve. This is what would be morally right or fair. Or 
maybe your boss has told you, it's like, hey, look, you get 30 minutes for lunch. But you're a salaried person, you don't actually punch the clock, and so like, whenever everybody else takes 35 or 40, you don't really think it's a big deal. It's like, ah, everybody else does it, it's cool if I do. You say it's okay because, well, you're like, that's fair. In that moment, you've acted as a judge. Now look, are a lot of these small and maybe seemingly (laughs) insignificant to us? Sure. But in these ways and in so many others, we act as we act as judges. And again, often we're not even aware of it. But you know, if we could stop and honestly assess our judgments, we would see that often we're not fair. We're not just. We actually make judgments because they favor us. We make decisions that aren't morally right, but they sure are convenient. And so we then justify why it's okay. You know, maybe the reason that a lot of us actually don't like to think about God as a judge is because in our hearts, we know that we don't act justly and we project that onto God. Or maybe we don't like thinking about God as a judge because we know that indeed he is just and that we're guilty and that guilt separates us. So I had an interaction with a student a while back we had a disagreement about something. It was pretty important. I think it was like the record of a sports team the year before or something like that. Something that was definitely going to change the outcome of history. Um, but I said, I'm like, well, look, there's only one way to settle it. Google it and find out that I'm right. And here's how, here's how they responded. Uh, I don't have my phone. Interest peaked. You always have your phone. You're the first one to text back. You're the first one to like a message. You are that person. So that's the first one. Right? It's like, what? Well, my interest is peaked first by the um and second by the fact that you don't have your phone at all. I was like, okay, well, why not? Well, it turns out um, this person and their friend had done something extremely stupid and got busted. And so part of the punishment was the phone was taken. Now, this was not the worst part. The worst part was this. Because of what had happened, there was guilt introduced into this equation. There was guilt introduced into this relationship. And guilt had separated. The worst part of all this was that guilt had actually separated this person from their parents' friends, who they had actually been really close with. Sin causes guilt, and guilt causes separation. You know, friends, this is actually why we stand condemned before the judge of all. Because we are guilty of sin and separated from God. And because God is indeed just, he can't just say, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. Justice has to be enacted. We get this, don't we? I mean, don't you hate whenever you feel like somebody else gets away with something that you didn't? Don't you hate whenever you do something and get in trouble and you're like, but they they didn't get in trouble for it. Let's not play. We do this as adults too, right? Like whenever you get pulled over for speeding, you're like, what about the guy that was going faster than me? We hate it. We want to feel like justice has been served. The good news the Bible gives us is that God is not only a just judge, but that he is also the justifier. 
So does anybody, anybody like superhero movies? Bacons, do y'all still watch like all the superhero movies? Travis like, of course, what else do you do on a Tuesday? Right, like, so very early on I tried, I was like, I'm gonna watch all the superhero movies. And was very soon overwhelmed, I was like, I can't do it. But I still do enjoy some of them. My favorite of all are the Dark Knight series, all right? The Dark Knight series, they tell the story of Bruce Wayne, right? This uber-rich guy who fights crime under the alias of Batman. So even if you haven't seen the Dark Knight movies, like, you, you no doubt know the premise of the story, right? Bruce Wayne fights crime in Gotham dressed up like a bat in uber-tight tights for some reason. Whatever. What's interesting about this character is that he is pursuing the good of his city, whether he is acting as Bruce Wayne or Batman. Bruce Wayne owns businesses that create, that create jobs in the city. He gives money to the community, helps those in need. And then as Batman, he fights crime, right? And he tries to make his, his city a safer place to live. It's the same person, right? But he's fulfilling different roles. As we look at the Bible and consider who God is and what we he does, we see that God, too, fulfills different roles. One we just talked about, right? That he is the just judge. But the Bible tells us that God is also the justifier. So this may be a term uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to, some, like, to all of us. So let's see if we can explain it a bit. Scripture tells us that we're all sinful, right? We're all, we're unable to make ourselves right before God. And apart from Jesus, even the things, the things that we would do, we're like, well, this is a good thing. God's like, no, no, that's actually filthy before me. The only way to be made right with God is to place faith in Christ. He's the one who not only takes our sin, but gives us his perfection. He's the only one who could, who could do this for us. This is what I mean when I say he is the justifier. He is the taker of our sin and the creditor of perfection. If we think again about this imagery of a courtroom, the courtroom of God, it's like you and I stand there guilty and separated from the Father. But Jesus comes and he stands beside us with a legal document proving their sin has been paid for. And not only has their sin been paid for, but all the perfection of God himself is credited to their account. Jesus, the justifier, stands there with us. And unlike us, who are dirty and sinful, he is perfect and just and righteous. This idea, this concept of God filling different roles can be hard at times for us to kind of wrap our minds around. Because God is so different than us. And he's different than us in the fact that he is three persons and yet one God. How does that work? I don't know. The Bible says that's true. But because God is so different than us, because he is three different persons yet one God, many of us... I think sometimes subconsciously actually begin to think of God in different ways. Like, have you ever thought of God as being that kind of angry judge, but then Jesus being like the sweet one? She's going to kind of come on, like, come on, Dad. You know, they're, I mean, they're not that bad. Yeah, come on. We can take them on our team, right? You ever tend to think about it like that? Like, the father is this angry judge and Jesus is the sweet son. Maybe not on purpose even, but just subconsciously. Like, has that worked in? 
So this is not what the scriptures say. The Father and the Son and Spirit, they are one God with one mind and one will and one purpose. They are all faithful and all loving and all just. Jesus actually doesn't want the Father to act like your sin doesn't exist. Jesus wants to make your sin right. He wants you to stand forgiven and holy before the Father. And this is why he came, so that that could be done. This is why he sacrificed himself, so that he could stand by you as your justifier. God, yes, is acting as a judge, but that same God comes and acts as the justifier for all those who place faith in him. He's the only one that could. Only the Son could merit this pardon. And you know, only the Father could actually accept it. I don't know why. This is not something I thought about. I'm like, what? Like, only the Father could actually accept that work. I don't know why, like, the, this last week, I've been thinking about that. Like, because of the way that God works, the order in which God works, like, only the Father could do that specific job. What are you supposed to do with that? I don't know. Take it home and think on it. That's all I got for you, right? Like, this is just a glimpse into my mind and how it works. But only the Father could accept this work that only the Son could do. Guys, look, we all want to be justified. We all want to be declared right. We all want to be accepted. We all want someone to tell us, hey, you know what? You're okay. And this is why we surround ourselves with people that make us feel better about ourselves. This is why we craft our social media accounts to make ourselves look better than we are. This is why we count how many people like our posts. This is why... Many of us date certain people, or maybe even some of us marry certain people that we actually don't like that much, but we know that they're good for our social standing, or we're going to get something out of this. I'm going to be able to live the lifestyle that I want. This is why some of us sleep with lots of different partners. This is why some of us continue to do activities and hobbies that we don't even like anymore. But we do all these things so that we can feel right, so we can feel accepted, so other people will say, hey man, you're okay, you're a part of the club. We do these things so that the people that we have decided are important will accept us. But the problem with all of these things is that they always leave us wanting more. And deep down, they all leave us with this feeling of knowing that, you know what, this is just a deception. This is deception. This is fake. This isn't who I am. If we're even more honest, do you know do you know what a lot of these things do? They point out what is broken and sinful in us. They point out that we are selfish and think of ourselves first and foremost. They point out that we don't care about other people because we use them like objects. They point out that we are liars who portray an image of ourselves who isn't who we really are. They point out that we are perverts who use sex with other people solely for our satisfaction and our agendas, not because we actually care about them. It points out that in our hearts, we actually hate other people, especially those that we see as being ahead of us somehow, because they stand in the way of us getting the acceptance we want. What does Jesus tell us hating people is like? It's like killing them murdering people in our hearts so that we can get ahead. Church, we all want to be justified and accepted. We want to be told that we're okay. But all the ways 
apart from Jesus that we seek to do this, the, all the ways we seek to do this, the, that we seek to gain our acceptance, it only goes to show that we are failing and unable to get what our souls actually long for. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus the justifier came so that you might indeed have what your soul wants and needs. Did you know how he did that? He did so by actually becoming your sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what that means? It means that God, the second person of the Trinity, that he became a liar, that he became an object, that he became a pervert and a murderer for you so that you might become perfect in the eyes of the God of the universe. And he did that because it was the only way that you could ever stand before the just judge of the universe and not be obliterated and condemned for all eternity. He did it for you. He didn't do it as he looked at this big group of people. It's like, all them. No, he did it so he could look in your eye and be like, I did this for you as an individual. So love the Savior has for you, friends. Is your faith in Jesus? Are you trusting his justifying work for you? As we begin to land the plane, let's ask this question. What, what then does this justification bring? So I started by telling you a story of a man named Jimmy who unintentionally killed a man. And I asked you, what, what do you think a just sentence would be? Well, in the real world, here's what happened. Jimmy actually stood before a judge and was sentenced to prison. He went and he served over 20 years. And whenever he was, he was released, our justice system was essentially telling him, like, you have successfully paid for your crime. Hey, Jimmy, you're okay. Be free in the world, friend. But he said, you know, I knew it wasn't true. Because I still think about that man every day. I think about his family. I think about how I wish I could have done anything different. I wish I could go back and do it, do it all again and do everything the opposite. You know, the only thing that could ever free Jimmy from that feeling of guilt is faith in Jesus. Because only when Jimmy would, if he would, but place his faith in Jesus, only then could he actually look at the Savior and say, he became a murderer for me so that I might become perfect in the eyes of the Father. Only then could he say, he became a murderer for me so that I might be perfect and sinless and guilt-free and righteous. Y'all, to be justified by God means to be once for all declared righteous, accepted, and guiltless. To be justified by God means to be secure for all eternity. To be justified by God, Romans 5 tells us, is to be saved from the righteous wrath that you deserve. To be justified by God is to be given right to life and freedom. What does justification bring? It brings everything that your soul needs and longs for. And when God declares you to be justified, it's a once-for-all eternity proclamation. There's no appeals or retrials. When the gavel falls, his declaration is made final. If you're not trusting in Jesus to be your justifier, the Bible tells us that you are a prisoner of sin 
who is set to stand trial before the just judge of the universe, and there is only one possible judgment to be made. You will be found guilty. And you will incur the wrath of the Creator. But the good news is that there is one who stands ready to take your sin and your guilt and to give you his perfection and right standing if you will but surrender to him and trust in his work for you. And if you're trusting in Jesus, the Bible tells us you are justified and guiltless. You are a free son or daughter of the king whose standing can never be taken away and in whom our God greatly delights. Friend, who or what are you looking to for acceptance? Even as Christians, we look other places. What is that place for you? I encourage you to cast it aside and take it to the cross. Are you listening to what others say is true about you? Or are, listening, are you listening to what God himself says is true? Let's consider these things. Let's consider these things. And in all the areas we are looking to something other than Jesus, let us be quick to repent and to run to him and cling to him. And the next day when we cling to that thing again, let us be quick to repent and run back, knowing that our God stands ready to forgive and that his mercy and forgiveness will never run out. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these, and I thank you for these great truths about who you are, that you indeed are a just God, but that you are merciful and gracious that you indeed abound with love and faithfulness for your people. God, I pray that we, uh, men, that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves about all the places that we look for acceptance and righteousness apart from you. Show us how futile and fleeting and failing they are. Bring us to the end of ourselves and let it drive us closer to you. And I pray that you would use not my words, but your word to form and to shape us. I pray that you would do that even this hour. And bring all this before the throne in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.